how to see and share Jesus from all of Scripture, well, learn with us at the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. My name is Josh Redberg, and I'm filling in for our regular host, Nate Aiken. I'm here with John Aiken, and we're to Proverbs 9, and we're here with a special guest, Nate Aiken. Oh, it's great <laughs> to be here. And the reason Nate's not hosting today is because we want <laughs> Nate to talk a lot about this chapter because Nate has worked a lot on Proverbs 9. And so I'm going to be asking the questions. John and Nate are going to be answering them. But we're here with another key chapter in the book of Proverbs. So, Nate, you focus a lot on this chapter. Why this chapter? Why is this so significant in the book of Proverbs? And I hate to give any kind of compliments to my brother, but uh, John has been very helpful to me in uh, the work on Proverbs 9. Uh, my younger brother, by three minutes, actually. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's obviously a hinge chapter. Uh, Proverbs 9 is a hinge chapter. We'll kind of even show that how we go from here to the topics. John has some good ideas on kind of why it's, uh, you know, broken down the way it is, but this seems to be the, the, the finale of the prologue, uh, of Solomon asking his son to choose, uh, wisdom rather than choose the, the way of, of foolishness. And so in some sense, all that has been building up to this point. And then from here, you're going to go into all these different directions of the different topics that we'll try to cover uh, in this podcast, but it just seems to be a hinge chapter where everything kind of builds to this point and then kind of goes from there. When you look at this chapter, then Nate, what are the things that really stand out to you that demonstrate the significance of it? Like when you say a, a hinge chapter, what makes it a hinge chapter? Yeah. So, I mean, he's basically telling his son that he he needs to choose between, uh, you know, wisdom and and foolishness. And there's this kind of, this, this really the idea is, and this is pivotal to even what it just means to be a Christian, but to, to live in this world is there really is only two types of people. Uh, and, and we'll see this, uh, Keller's and, Keller and others have kind of helped us think through some of these things, but there, there's the saved and the unsaved. But here, this is kind of pictured as you're either wise or you're foolish. You've either mm -hmm. later on, you know, Jesus will pick these parables up. You either are building your life on solid ground or on you know uh, shifting sand, and so yeah. uh, really, what's pivotal here is how are you going to build your life? Are you going to be a person uh, that's a fool? And, and the language that's used here is like you don't realize uh, that the dead are here, and then or are you going to be wise? And this is this is where you're going to find life. And even there's promises in this chapter that are picked up from the Torah of just uh, you know better life and longer life uh, if you if you choose to be in relationship with wisdom. And so uh, th this is you know, really essentially every person that comes to Proverbs 9 needs to be c confronted with a choice. What kind of person will you be? What kind of path will you ultimately choose? And then what we're going to appeal to, obviously, is christ and clear is it really comes down to whether you're going to choose to be in relationship uh, with the person who's become the wisdom of God for us, or whether you're going to choose to kind of walk uh, according to the prince of the power of the air. So, Nate, would you say this is the altar call of the book of Proverbs then. It's the it's the decisive moment. It is a very decisive moment, and we will play just as I am as long as we need <laughs> to for somebody to walk the aisle and make the right decision. So the rest of this podcast is just verse after verse, it's just as verse. I am. <laughs> well, you so please John, choose wisely. John, we, we talked last week about Proverbs 8 and how significant that was. So can you just push the two of them together? How How should we interpret these two significant 
chapters back to back. Yeah, so you have the personification of wisdom in Proverbs 8 that now is taking on this life of being a personification of God's wisdom. Um, And so again, that idea of wisdom being personal and wisdom assisting God in the creation of the world. And then the next, the very next thing we see is wisdom building her house. Um, And so there's a lot of metaphors there. I mean, wisdom's house is creation itself, like Hmm. build creation. Wisdom house is also the book of Proverbs. So you have uh, seven pillars. Uh, There's, there's seven sections of the book, you know, that kind of thing. Like, and so there's this, there's seven pillars uh, we see in uh, Solomon's temple. And so this is coming from Solomon. So there's a lot of different connections there, but that that's the connection is that this, the wisdom of God has built it, has built her house. And then now she's, she's sending out these invitations to the young man to come to her house, to come eat her feast and to live basically. And so that, so we, we were, we were left with that at the end. Those who listen, those who find me find life those who don't right. find me die. And now um, we're transitioning into more of that and then going to see the the rival, the other choice who's competing against wisdom, which is now woman so, folly. So when you say that, it that sounds sort of like Eden when you talk about wisdom, building your house, which is creation and inviting to come and eat. Is that an intentional illusion, do you think? or do I just see the Garden of Eden everywhere in the Bible? Uh, it's an intentional illusion, and therefore you see the Garden of Eden everywhere in the Bible. And so it is clear <laughs> It is clear if you read in Exodus and you read in 1 Kings, the, the creation of the tabernacle, which was done by wisdom, um, mm-hmm. and then the creation of the temple, which is the man of wisdom is the one who builds the temple. It is a microcosm of Eden. I mean, that's what it's, it's meant to evoke. Right. All the way down to the cherubim that are woven into the veil that separating the Holy of Holies. And so, mm-hmm. uh, this is wisdom's house is a, is a temple is, is what is being built. It's, it's at the, it's at the highest place of the city we're told, which is where you would build the temple. Then folly's house, which is, which is a, a mimicking of a mocking of is at a high place as well, which is where were idols worshiped. They were worshiped at the high places. Yeah. And so, and so it's absolutely temple imagery, and which and temple imagery is Edenic imagery, right? Including you, you've mentioned this before. I know Nate did when he preached on this. The knowledge of the Holy One uh, being included in this chapter, which would certainly point to Eden, to Tabernacle, to Temple, ultimately the new heavens and new earth. Nate, you recently preached this. How did you break this up um, when you preached in a sermon, like? whether you go for the main points or not, how did you just sort of conceptualize this chapter and break it into divisions? Yeah, it's a unique chapter in one sense. We can talk about it as we get there. Um, But what I did was take the front verses and the back verses. The front uh, few verses talk about uh, kind of what Lady Wisdom looks like, and then the the back part of the chapter looks like uh, what you know, what Lady Folly's offering mm-hmm. uh, to to the sun, yeah. uh, and then you have this kind of part in the middle that that talks about being wise and being a scoffer and all these things, uh, and so it's very interesting. So what I did was I took the front and back and just ran a kind of comparison. So Lady Wisdom is like this, Lady Folly is like this, and and what you see, what's partially what's interesting is there's overlap, there's mimicking um, by mm-hmm. uh, Lady Folly. She's trying in some sense to look to the sun, uh, almost similar to what Lady Wisdom is. But then you see 
you know, Solomon draws very clear distinctions, even though she's trying to portray herself like uh, Lady Wisdom, she's she's quite different. And, and so I even make jokes along the way about, uh, you know, one is kind of offering you the best, the best meat and the best bread and wine. And the other one's just offering you bread and water, like in stolen water at that. Mm, and so yeah. there's all this, there's similarities, but then there's drastic differences. Both of them are asking the son to make a decision. But what's interesting about Lady Wisdom is that she's actually saying that you need to have a change of heart. So you can't just turn your direction. There, there's a, there's at least a implication of repentance in, uh, in, in the text. So he's, she's saying you have to actually turn around, like turn from the course you're on. Yeah. Whereas Lady Folly is just saying, stay in, stay how you are, kind of kind of thing. Just come on in and enjoy this this stolen water, which again uh, has echoes of, of Proverbs five of potentially this drinking from a cistern that's not your own. Uh, this idea of adult adultery, uh, and so what she has as as kind of appealing thing is is this stuff of of like secret, this kind of seduction of uh, you be drawn to things that are not yours. Um, as whereas again. You see things like John's already made, made allusion to. Lady Wisdom is very active. She's building. She's cooking. She's actually the one killing the calf. Uh, mm-hmm. So she's she's you're, you're painting this picture that she's quite a woman. And then in the middle, you have what some people, if you're just reading it without kind of trying to discern what's going on, it might just feel like, why are these verses thrown in the middle? And part of what uh, the argument I've seen from some scholars is th- these verses are thrown in the middle to help you ascertain which path you are on. Are you choosing mm-hmm. wisdom? Or are you choosing folly? So this is this idea of the wisdom and scoffer. He's giving sort of a diagnostic for you to to kind of look into the sun, to look inside and say, which path am I on? So I basically did, uh, you know, the comparison of folly and wisdom in the in you know point one, and then point two, I looked at the diagnostics in the middle. Okay, John, how would you connect this to the greater context of? the book of Proverbs, within the sermon? Because I know that's key is, when you're talking about this being the hinge, so you really do have to connect it to that overall message of the book. So as you're teaching or preaching through this passage, how do you go about doing that? Yes, the, I think there's two ways. I've done it two different ways. So the one is this idea of of wisdom being a person and that it's only by virtue of relationship with uh, wisdom that you can walk in wisdom. And so that's that's why this uh, invitations being given at the end of the extended discourse section here in Proverbs mm-hmm. one through nine. It's it's so it's like before we get into the more seemingly topical sections of chapter ten through chapter thirty, um, if you're going to be able to walk in the wisdom that's being presented in the rest of the book, you have to first have made a decision to be in relationship with wisdom. And then, as mm-hmm. to Nate's point, I think that that chunk in the middle there that's talking about like, can you receive correction? Can you is again pointing you to how to read the book so that if you're not the kind of person who can receive correction, it's not just a, a, like a lack of effort. It's because you're, you're not in right relationship with wisdom. That's, that's what's being revealed. You're not in mm-hmm. right relationship with Jesus. So that's what's being revealed by you're not able to listen to somebody instructing you. You're not able to take confrontation and receive it well. And then all the other stuff that we're going to see later from laziness to managing your money to listening to your parents all of that stuff is connected. So that's that's one way is to say wisdom mm-hmm. is personal, have a relationship with wisdom. That's the only way you're going to actually be wise. The second way is is again more of a like of of Jesus as the wise son of the book. So in in Proverbs 1 through 9, the dad is trying to get buy-in and he's trying to get his son to marry wisdom and to choose wisdom as his queen, as his bride. And 
what we're going to see is by the end of the book, um, he doesn't choose well because that connection there with uh, nine verse 10, knowledge of the Holy one is insight. You get to Proverbs 30 at the end of the book and the son says, I'm stupider than any other man. I have not obtained knowledge of the Holy one. And so he's failed. And so then, and then 31, there's this prophetic oracle of hopefully there's coming a son in the future who is going to choose wisdom as his bride and God's going to keep his promise to David. And I, I laid all that out at the, at the conference, but yeah. Um, and so that, that way of, of looking at how this hinges is to say, Hey, we're not, they, that son failed. We fail. That's why we need Jesus, the son who didn't fail. And then he's the king who can lead us to walk in wisdom of the book. Yeah. Listening to you talk about that, it, it sort of reminds me, you guys is, I'm sure when you were kids playing video games and you'd keep getting to the same spot on a certain level. And if you didn't pass it, Mario or whatever, you'd be sent back to the beginning. And you have to start the whole level over again. And in one sense, it sounds like Proverbs 9 is what is what that's what's happening. If you if you fail here, there's no point in going to chapter 10. Go back to chapter one, start reading again, and until you're ready to at chapter nine make the right choice to choose wisdom, there's the the rest of the book, 10 and on, isn't gonna do you much good. That's for the person who's listening to correction, who's listening to rebuke who's listening to instruction. Yeah, I think it's a good illustration. And, and part of the issue, again, it, it uses the language of uh, lack sense early on in, in chapter nine, but it actually is like the language is literally lacks a heart. And so there's yeah. even just this idea of, apart from regeneration, uh, this is going to be impossible. So uh, this is even giving echoes of the new covenant. So Nate, you divided it into those couple sections what were some of the ways John's alluded to some already? In fact, he just mentioned one about seeing Christ as the king who succeeds. How else did you go to Christ from this chapter? Yeah, so I sort of tried to do a hybrid of what John talked about. I, I basically presented at the end, who's the son going to choose? And I think, you know, we have warrant both uh, from the in initial context, but a lot larger uh, the scriptures that the sons of Solomon chose poorly. Uh, and so they they ultimately failed, and then uh, I, I obviously kind of bring it brought it back around to uh, a son of Solomon further down the line who doesn't fail, and just showed mm -hmm. how uh, he's the fulfillment of the son who chose wisely. And, and in one sense, he's also, and we've talked about this in, in the other podcast, he's the embodiment of the wisdom that's been talked yeah. about up to the uh, up through these chapters. So he's the one who speaks in parables himself, and he talks about these two houses, mm -hmm. one being built on a firm foundation, one on shifting sand. He's the one who actually gives out this this invitation. So like Lady Wisdom is calling, inviting people in. He's the one who tells his servants to go out into the highways and byways and mm -hmm. invite people in. He's the one who's going to give better bread and, and better wine. He's the one who's going to call out from another high place, uh, from another hill. Uh, he's the one who's become the wisdom of God for us. Uh, and ultimately, he, you know, he's the one who tells, he, he's ultimately the one who tells the simple, he tells these common fishermen, he makes them fishers of men, he tells them, leave your nets and follow me. And so this whole idea of turn around uh, and, and come and follow me. And so that's just a little bit of kind of the connections I made specifically to what was going on in the first few verses in the last parts of Proverbs 9. Uh, but then again, also tried to draw in what John was talking about, making the connections. And maybe he can talk a little bit about that to Proverbs 30 and Proverbs 31. Yeah, I know when we, at our last Christ Center 
Clear Conference, both of you guys talked about Proverbs quite a bit. Nate, you preached from this passage. John, you gave us an overview of Proverbs and talked about the how this is a hinge for the book as a whole. Nate, in our next Christ Center and Clear Conference, which is on May 16th in Glenrothes, Scotland, just near Edinburgh, you're going to be talking about Proverbs and probably referencing this chapter quite a bit, aren't you? Yeah, so my my plan is to do a little bit of what John did on the front end in Dallas of just a, a more broad uh, kind of look at Proverbs and, and hit some of the high points that he hit as far as uh, kind of how we see it messianically, but then to draw specifically, probably the last 20 minutes of my talk will specifically be looking at how Proverbs 9 is the hinge uh, by which we can kind of understand the rest of the book. That's great. If you can make it to Scotland this May, we would love to have you join us for the conference. All of the details and registration is on our website, ChristCenterClear.com. We did feature those two conference talks from our conference in Dallas in December on our podcast earlier um, this year. So you can look um, look those up and listen to more of what Nate and John both talked about in Proverbs 9. Now, John, in a passage like this, was most of your application then focused on this decision being made? Were there other smaller applications you made? How did you handle it when the whole passage is driving towards such a big moment of decision? Yeah, I'd say there was three ways. So one was the, the moment of decision. Two was this this middle section of just walking through very practically. I mean, these are very practical things. Um, knowing who to correct, being able to receive correction, um, that wisdom isn't about ever, because the path language is used throughout the book, not here, but like part of what it means to be wise is that you continue to receive instruction. You don't get to a place where you've arrived. Um, and so those kind of things, I, I was making those applications of what is that? And then the third was to tie that to, again, what this says about who or what you worship. Because again, it's tied to fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge of the Holy One. Um, and so I, I just walked through very specifically how Lady Folly here is, is, is the figurative, you know, stands for the, all, all these forbidden ladies that Solomon had warned his son about in chapter five and chapter six and chapter seven. Yeah. Woman follies described the exact same way, right? They, they don't know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of Sheol. And so mm -hmm. making that link between physical adultery and spiritual idolatry and saying like, this is, this is what the Bible teaches us is that who or what you worship affects your behavior. And it affects how you yeah. live life and it affects how you make decisions, right? I mean, we're, we're seeing this in real time uh, in our culture. And, and so that, that idea of like, if you, there are areas of your life where you're walking in foolishness shows areas of your life where your, your worship is off and, and you, you've given right. to idolatry. And, um, and so, I, so I tried to walk through some specific examples of that. That's good. Nate, you preach this, I know, to a group primarily of pastors, church leaders. Mm -hmm. Were there some specific applications you made from this chapter to that group? Yeah, and, and, and I'll, I want to make two comments there, just talk about how I did application. Some of that could just be to any Christian, but one of the things that I want to do with pastors is I think I've been reading these, I've had to read books lately for PhD work about all the, they're mainly books about pastors failing. and 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 honestly, the way pastors fail and fall is 
is a myriad of ways, but it almost right. always comes down to pride and lack of accountability, mm. um, which is pictured throughout uh, the Proverbs as, as a sign of foolishness. So one of the things I did as far as application was actually ask questions more than just make application, particularly around, you know, those verses in the middle, uh, seven, eight, and so forth. When it talks about if you correct a scoffer, you get abuse. Um, You know, if you reprove a scoffer, he will hate you. But if you reprove a a wise man, he will love you. And so just trying to drive this idea of teachability and and humility that even pastors uh, who teach... uh, they they need to be those who are teachable, and those are kind of right. honestly those are signs for most of us as we would train guys. We would train up to be pastors. We look for teachability. Mm-hmm. So I just ask questions of like, how do you respond to correction and confrontation? Like, what's going on in your heart when somebody corrects you? Um, do you immediately have a way to justify your behavior when somebody corrects you, or immediately have a list of wrongs in that person that you can point out? And then even ask this question: Is there anything in your life that's off limits for people to touch when it comes to that's correction? Good. So. Yeah parenting, how you spend your time, how you spend your money? Uh, and do you have relationships with anybody who have who has the freedom to say tough things to you? And then I actually made a Christ-centered connection there. There's a, uh, I don't specifically mention this in the um, in my sermon, but it was shaped by an, an article that a guy named Alfred Poyer wrote years ago called The Cross and Criticism, which is really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, God kind of gospel-centered. He may even be in that CCEF uh, world, but it's, it's just a very helpful, um, article talking about how the cross has already corrected us in the deepest sense of who we are. So like, if we agree with the criticism, uh, and and like, uh, you know, really just the condemnation of the cross, uh, then it should be easy for us to receive correction because we've already been told in the deepest aspects of who we are, we're a sinner deserving of death. Uh, and then that's the only way we're going to also receive the sweetness of the cross uh, and so I just made that tie to to Jesus and his work on the cross. Uh, he is already, you know, kind of thinking you're, you're worse than you think you are, but you're more loved than you ever thought you might right. be. Uh, and if you have that sort of attitude, you'll be the kind of person who's who's able to to receive correction because uh, you've already been corrected in the cross. And so I try to even make that connection just practically for pastors, just because I there's there has to be a burden that we would still be uh, those who would be accountable and humble. Um, again, even think about First Peter five. Uh, and the need for the for the uh, shepherd of the sheep to be that yeah. be that way. So, absolutely. Well, speaking of correction and idolatry, Nate, I think this is a great place for me to correct you about your idolatry of queso, because oh <laughs> everyone can love it, but there's a type mm-hmm. of worship that may be happening there that I think might need repentance. Anyway, just just so think it, about it, that. It, it shows up in every sermon I've preached at Open Door, and so when I didn't mention it in my last one, I had at least ten people say, well, "Why didn't you mention queso?" So you might you might be onto something there. And I've seen how you've even trained up your daughter in the the <laughs> delights of queso as well. We went out to dinner, and Nate's daughter, the queso, came to the table, and I believe she squealed in delight and yelled, "My queso!" And it was her queso. It, it, it was her queso. We left, so we have her trained now unintentionally that we leave, when we leave the, you know, the church building on Sunday morning, we go eat Mexican food. So this week we wanted to go eat the Thai food and and we, and, and he said, where's the queso? <laughs> I think so. that's the type of training her speaking this as you walk, as you sit, as you stand <laughs> that Deuteronomy six was intending. Well, thanks guys for, <laughs> for your input on Proverbs nine. What a wonderful chapter that points us to Christ and his glory and calls us to walk the way of wisdom. And join us next week as we uh, begin to dive into some of the topics that are talked about in chapters 10 and following. Uh, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Christ Centered and Clear.
Thank you for listening to the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources. Thank you.